Let's go to Jeremiah, and we're just going to camp out there for a minute here. Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, hopefully we can make this clear and not real lengthy, but uh, I think we can do that. Now, see, the Lord told me this is my prophecies that I carry with me because they're important to me. And if you, now, if you, if you have somebody prophesy to you that's not right or it doesn't bear witness with your heart, I'm giving you some insight, you should just forget it. The problem with humanity is we want to be tickled. We want to got our egos. And if somebody says we're great and we're super anointed, and I, you know, and, that, and there's an there's a element of humility in receiving that if it's from the Lord. But you just need to be sure that whoever's speaking into your life is credible. And that whatever they say to you bears witness with your spirit. And if it doesn't, I'd put it in the trash compactor. And so these came from Dr. Dufresne, Pastor Nancy, primarily those two. But uh, here, and I read part of this last night. I'm going down a different trail on the same prophecy. And Lord, this is what I wanted to say. The Lord told me several years ago about prophecy, personal prophecy. And I'm very reluctant to give those out. Just to help you to know something here about me. I'm not very free just to, thus saith the Lord, and thus saith the Lord. And, you know, you better know that thus saith the Lord. Yes. A lot of times God's used me to minister to, to Pastor Dennis and Angie, or Pastor Keith and Cynthia, and Pastor Alvin and others. And even to this young couple that I married recently. Because Dennis said to me, I've got a tongue. I said, go ahead, I'm ready for it. I got the other side of it is what I said to him before we got on the platform. But I'm not just throwing prophecies around lightly. I'm not that kind of person. You shouldn't be either. And, every, and people call themselves prophets. They want to give everybody words at Starbucks and wherever they're hanging out, you know. Oh, brother. But the Lord said to me, I'm not, I'm not trying to lengthen this. I'm just trying to get straight. He said to me, your prophecies, Michael, talking to me. He said, our blueprint for your future, if you'll take them and pray them and yield to them. And here's another thought about that. Brother Hagin said, you get the right prophecy and interpret it wrong and still mess you up. So I would say from that comment from a man of that caliber, people aren't sometimes mature enough to properly be enlightened to what was spoken over them at that moment maybe. But if you'll stay with God and be willing to take the correction and take the encouragement and mature yourself. See, you know, this isn't Disneyland. I don't have any pixie dust or magic dust or magic wands. I don't. And I think sometimes when we talk about things like this, like the prophet's ministry, or we get miracles in our ministry all the time anymore, just about every church we go to. Healings and supernatural, creative miracles now, that's been happening for many years, but even more so today. But it's not just about that. We're just trying to serve the body of Christ through the anointing God's given me. So we read this prophecy last night from Kuwait. When I was in Kuwait, Dr. Hadball was with me. Pastor Debbie and Johnny were there during that time. I think the Ramoses were there. I don't remember everybody else that was there, but anyway. And he said to me, October 6, 2004, Dr. Dufresne, as you have walked in the footsteps of the prophet, he pointed to himself, I was laying on a Persian rug. If you were here last night, I told him more depth about it. And uh, he says, if you walk in the footsteps of the prophet, you begin to make your own footsteps as a prophet. Even that comment kind of convicts me because I, I paid attention to it, but it didn't pay as much attention as maybe I should have. Now I'm giving you the other side of the thing. Sometimes you can drag your feet a long time. You've got to be careful you catch up with 
Don't get ahead of God because he can't catch you up. You get out beyond what he's telling you to do, you're going to fail. Trying to give you some insight if you're paying attention to me at all tonight. Anyway, I could look back and think, well, I should have come further by now. And that's been 14, 15 years now. Then the second part's what I'm talking to you tonight about. The healing anointing. Talking to me. The healing anointing that's in my life, in my hands, that has come and gone. You've went in and out of it. Has come to abide. Now, what does that mean? That means when the Spirit's on me and the anointing is on me, I can minister to people through that tangible anointing in my hands. Sometimes people don't feel it. Some people feel it. I prayed for one guy one time and he levitated off the floor. I was casting the devil out of him. It was just stiff as a piece of wood. You could, I got to put my hand under his body and then God slammed him on the floor because he had spirit of murder on him. I'm just talking. They didn't always dramatic like that, but I'm just, but I want to talk to you tonight about this healing anointing. The healing anointing that has come and gone in my life has come to abide. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that healing endowment. It's different than a gift of healing. It's different than just laying hands on people. As any believer, you're in Jeremiah, aren't you? Just stay there. I'll get back with you. But Mark 16 says every believer in the name of Jesus can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Not they might recover, they shall if you'll believe it. But I'm talking about something that's tangible. And the primary way that God uses me is to lay my hands on people. I've had some miraculous things happen through prayer cloths. People delivered from mental hospitals. And I wasn't even there. In fact, they were several states away from me when that happened. That I prayed over and this lady became normal and got out of the hospital. I won't get into all that testimony, take too long. But she was delivered from evil spirits that got a hold of her. Because she went through a terrible divorce. But see, typically it's good for me to get my hands on people. And sometimes just my words will take care of things too. As a prophet, my words will carry the weight of the prophet's office in the words. I'm not trying to hype anything. I'm just telling you how I've learned to magnify my office. Now, if I just went around saying, well, you know, I'd like to pray for it, but I don't know what to say. And if I say something, I'm not sure it's going to come to pass. I'll just sit down. And see, you've got to realize when I talk like this sometimes, it's not, it's not arrogance, but it's 43 years of ministry full-time dealing with human beings and their incredible confusion in their minds sometimes. And I've learned to, learned to try to be more skillful with what I'm doing so that I'm more efficient. I'd sort of hate to have a brain surgeon come in and say, the second time I've done this, I hope it works. I say, get him out of here. Wouldn't you? Sure. And somebody comes in and said, I've done 10,000 of these. You're going to be all right. Well, praise God. I'm just talking about somebody that knows what they're doing, like a physician or a surgeon. Okay. (laughs) All right. So you're listening to me, aren't you? All right. Let's look here. We're going to just read verse 10. Last night we read verses 4 through 12. You could do that later. Not while I'm preaching, hopefully, because it'll be distracting. Uh, to yourself to listen to me and try to read it. But verse 10 says, see, I have set thee this day. This is to Jeremiah, the prophet. And God spoke to me in 1975 and said, this is your call. Jeremiah turned to Jeremiah one. I knew it was in my Bible. Never read it before. I don't remember reading anything in Jeremiah until that night. Chapter one, verses four through 12. So I read it and different things affected me back then. I haven't got time to tell that you get last night's tape. 
but I was a lot more immature, so different things affect me. And then I went back and read it 15 years later and it made a lot more sense to me. And then I was reading it today, it made even more sense to me. But he says, see this day I've set thee over the nations, verse 10, over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. And you know, God's used me my, my, almost my whole ministry to deal with the devil sometimes in people. I'm not teaching on that tonight, but I just want to say that. And to root something out of somebody yeah. by the power of God so that they didn't go shipwreck yeah. or go to hell or whatever, or be tormented the rest of their life. To root out some things. And it says to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down. And then it says to build and to plant. So it's not all negative. Actually, if you think about it right, it's all positive. See, I would to God when I first got saved, I was in a Baptist church. I was a drug dealer and a drug addict, carried a gun. I could care less what anybody thought about me and just was just meaner than a junkyard dog. I hate to tell you that. And I got saved and went to a Baptist church, but he didn't, he, nobody said, uh, Michael, come up and let us deal with you being an ex-drug addict. You may have some things hanging on you. You know those big brass carts you get at the nice hotels, not the cheap ones, yeah. that you can load about 10 bags on and you're barely pulling it, enough strength to pull it. You know, when people talk about having issues and having baggage, that was me. I had a whole trail of those things behind me. <laughs> But nobody was going to minister to me. Not because I didn't want it. They didn't know how to. So I suffered and stumbled and drug along in that for several years as a Christian. And all the things of my past, you know, haunting me kind of. Because of my craziness, my immorality. And things I was involved in as a drug addict. And nobody was helping me. Until eventually, many years later, somebody did help me. See, we're talking about these things all are positive. You take them in the right context. There's many misconceptions that are relative to the prophet's office. Many think that a prophet is supposed to do nothing but prophesy. But the foremost ministry of the prophet is to teach and preach the Bible. Because sometimes you can think, oh, here comes a prophet. He's going to do, he's going to prophesy over all of us or he's going to do something weird. I may do something weird to your mind, but... Not to your mind, but with you, in front of you, that it help you get delivered or healed or whatever. I'm talking about healing tonight. But people got some weird ideas about prophets. And this thing of just turning that off and on is not true either. That's come to abide, but that kicks in when I'm anointed to minister to somebody. I know how to hurry that up a little better than I did 20 years ago, but still yet it has to be him. Everything that you do that's right has to be as the spirit leads you, not as you just dreamed you ought to do. You got a good idea. You're dangerous with just a good idea. But if God's speaking to you, then that's a whole nother deal. But I want to help you see that prophets are just ministers. They're just different than the other four. Different. A prophet does more than prophesy. In fact, very often when he's given forth the revelation of the moment, he's not prophesying at all. He's just telling what was revealed to him. Yeah. For example, Agabus signified by the spirit that there was a great drought, Acts eleven twenty eight. That's all he spoke about though, because that was something God revealed to him at the moment. 
Sometimes when I'm ministering to people, not every time, but a lot, then I get in a deeper realm of the spirit and I see things that I didn't see when I first started to minister. And then I have to deal with that if there's something that I need to deal with. A prophet does more than have revelations. Now I have revelations and visions. Paul said that too. I will come to visions and revelations. I have a revelation about angels. I don't just teach about it. I have a revelation of it. That's a whole nother ball game. I have a revelation about demons. I don't just write a book about it. In fact, I didn't even write. Pastor Keith read my book and said, well, you left out that big section about, you know, things you taught us. I said, well, I didn't want it to be a 500 page book. I just put the essentials in there on deliverance, my book to help people have a revelation about demons, how to deal with them, how to help humanity that's got demons on them or in them. And you say they're possessed to get your soul and your mind and do havoc, torment you, harass you, you know, or they get in your body and cause you to be sick. And I can pray for you a lot about healing, but a lot of times you're not going to get that unless I deal with that spirit. If there's a spirit that's brought it, just trying to help you here. I got a revelation about spiritual fathers and uh, God had me to write that book. A prophet does more than have revelations. We talk, I'm just giving you some little bit of insight into this realm before I get to what I want to talk about. And the reason I'm taking my time is I don't think you've heard this. Maybe you have. I mean, Pastor Dennis is a great teacher. He runs circles around me teaching you. Pastor Keith's a wonderful preacher. I don't have his anointing either. I'm just me, but I'm trying to help you see this is a war well-rounded subject to just one issue. People get into error who think I'm called to be a prophet and they might be, you might be called. So they're always trying to have a revelation or always trying to prophesy. That's very immature. And I would say to you as a man of God, that's been in full-time, you know, the body of Christ as a pastor and a prophet now a teacher too earlier. That's very immature. Trying to prophesy all the time. Yeah. Before anything else, a prophet would be a preacher or a teacher of the word or both. Jesus said John the Baptist was a great prophet, yet we have no record that John ever foretold anything. Rather, he foretold or preached the message of the kingdom of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is Brother Hagin's writings right now. I'm reading off his page. The laying on of hands goes with the prophet's ministry. See, I didn't understand that when I was younger. And when I first started laying hands on people, I didn't feel nothing. I didn't feel anything. How many understand what I'm saying? I was just following Mark 16. I got that far. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But then as I got further into it, the anointing came on me. The anointing began to ramp up on me at times. And now it's way beyond that, but it's just different than it was when I started. And it should be, you ought to be maturing. Okay. I'm not, I'm not hyping anything. I'm just talking to you. So anyway, says the laying on of hands goes with the prophet's ministry. And this is interesting. And this, I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. The healing ministry, a healing ministry goes along with the prophet's office. Now, I didn't understand that until several years ago, but it began to see that I had a lot of healings going on and a lot of people write me and tell me about their healings and different things like that. Now, 
what, what happened to me, let me see here. I want to get something here. Let me read a little, a, a thought or two more. This brother Hagen. Well, first of all, about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I'd always ministered to people a lot in my whole ministry for 40 some years when I understood it was important to do that. Are you listening? Yes, <laughs> and, and not everybody got it. That, that's, you know, not everybody got it from Jesus. I'm going to show you that tonight. He didn't get everybody healed either. So one time I was real upset about it. The Lord said, well, you ever read my account? I said, yeah, I have. He said, well, then you need to pay attention. You're not better than me, are you? And I said, no, sir, I wasn't implying that. I was just concerned. He said, well, I couldn't get everybody healed too because some people got squirrely ideas about it. Brother, so about 10 or 12 years ago, maybe further back, I want to read something on here before I go much further. But this is something the Lord dealt with me about. People in my meetings when I would get done preaching, and normally I get away because I really don't want to talk to you a lot about what we're having for dinner or where am I going next week or, you know, and sometimes people, I don't know why it's a matter with people, they come up and ask me questions not relevant to anything I just taught. I went in the back room with a preacher, we we're going to have a sandwich and one of his uh, men came in there, I started to say something I shouldn't anyway, and he said, what do you think about that four-headed frog in Revelation? I said, were you in the meeting, sir? I'm just making that up. It's about that stupid. I said, I didn't talk to you about Revelation. I was teaching about angels. Weren't you listening? Yeah, well, why would you ask me a question about the end times? Four-headed frog. I don't know. Go figure it out yourself. See, see people just want to talk and talk and, and get some kind of special answer from me. And I don't have all the answers. Let me help you. But I certainly don't want to talk to you about the four-headed frog or the two-legged goat or anything else. Oh, my gosh. But what did happen was a few times I hang around in the sanctuary for a few minutes. And don't get me wrong. I'm not punishing you. I'm not trying to run away from you. But if you understand where I'm coming from, it would make sense. If you're, you do this as a lifestyle, that's what I do. It's all I do is travel. Okay, and preach. And some, I don't know, you know, and the prophet kind of draws out all the weird people. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I was down in Guadalajara ministering. The guy came down the center aisle. I could tell something was wrong with him. He's probably 35. I don't know how old I was. It was 15, 20 years ago. And he started barking at me like a dog. And I mean, if I had been a person in fear, I mean, he would have caused me to be fearful. He was really barking like a dog. And he got about 12 feet from me and I said, shut up, come out of him. He took one step forward. He froze. He couldn't get any closer to me. This stuff started dripping out of his mouth. It looked like, you know how an alcohol seltzer looks if you put it in a glass of water, it bubbles up. That's what it looked like. And it was bubbling off that concrete. And I walked back to him and he went, where am I at? And I said, you're at church. Give me your hand. You need Jesus. Yeah. And he received, he prayed the sinner's prayer with me. Yeah. God. <laughs> Guy that was barking at me. Yeah. If I could do it, I could scare some of you, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not into manifestations. I'm into getting people helped. Yeah. And I yelled about that loud at him, but I really wasn't talking to him. I was talking to that spirit inside. Yeah. So that was the Saturday night. The next morning I had this Spanish couple. I'm in Mexico. You know, they are Spanish there. A lot of them. 
<laughs> and a gringo, and a, <laughs> a white guy, whatever. <laughs> and uh, this family, I saw a man and a woman looked older, and he was there. He was behaving himself, and there was a younger woman with him, a younger lady, and I didn't know who that was. And all four of them came up at the invitation, and this lady, she, her, his mother, and she said, are you the man that cast that thing out of my son? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, may I tell you a story? I said, I'd love to hear it. She said, well, my son, he's been so violent and erratic that we had to throw him out of the house and put new locks on our doors and bolt it and have all kinds of security because we were concerned he would slit our throats in the middle of the night. He was so crazy. But he came home last night. It was late. Mom, Dad, let me in. Please let me in. She said, my husband and I stood on the inside of the door looked at each other. Do you think we ought to let him in or not? He's done this before. Said he, he beat on the door for 45 minutes and he started crying. Mom, Dad, please let me in. I, I promise I'm different. Said finally me and my husband unbolted the door and he brought me in. He came in the living room and fell on the couch and began to weep and cry like a little baby. And he said, I don't know what happened to me, Mom. And Dad, I ended up in a church meeting. I don't know how I got there or anything. And this guy... Uh, cast something out of me and I gave my life to Jesus. And she said to me that morning, she said, my husband and I, and this is our daughter, we all want to receive that same Jesus. If Jesus could do that for my son, I want him. <laughs> That's what you call power evangelism. <laughs> I got to get back on my story here. I'm going to run out of time. I think it's important sometimes for me to tell you these things. I hesitate to do that, and I got 60. You know, that was 10 years ago. In about two weeks, I'll be 70. The Lord said, Michael, I want you to start talking more about some of the things you've seen, some of your visions. And I said, Father, I don't want to do that. Those are so holy to me. Those are holy moments with the realm of the Spirit. Some demonic, some angelic, and but I... I really don't want to have to do that. I'm already take persecution just for being a word guy. You mentioned what people do with it when I tell them I saw an angel and the angel told me something and da da da. Yeah. The criticism, the, yeah. the, the animosity, the, yeah. the, spectac- the skepticism about a man who would talk like that. See? But he said, it's either that or else. I said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> and he wasn't playing with me then. I said, okay. Anyway, so I get back to being in the service here. Get back with me. Get out of the barking dog. <laughs> I would wait around in some of the service for a few minutes for the pastor or, you know, some uh, pastor Dennis normally dismiss me when I'm through and that'd be good because I need to go when I'm done. But sometimes I would just wait around and somebody would come up to me. This is eight or 10 years ago. You know, Dr. Jacobs, you prayed for me last night about my hip, but I had a heart issue and that cleared up too. Did I pray for you about your heart? Nope. You know, Dr. Jacobs, I was in your meeting. You prayed for my lungs, but my spine was messed up. I had several vertebrae that were, that were deteriorated. God healed all that. I said, did I pray for your spine? No, you just prayed for this one issue. And I started thinking, and this happened repeatedly in different churches. And I said, Father, I'd like to know what's going on. Because I would question them, did I pray for you about the other thing? And a couple of people said two or three things happened, but I only prayed for them about one. That same anointing that went in their body to take care of one thing took care of other things. Hallelujah. 
And so I said, you know, I'd like to know how, what's going on with me. I was, uh, I was in uh, Paducah, Kentucky. I think it was last year and a guy got in the line for alcoholism. And it was so sweet. He was about my age or older. And he said, you know, I did, the bottles just got me whipped. And the pressure comes on me and I start drinking again. I just get radical. Get drunk, stay drunk. And I said, come out of him, you spirit of alcoholism. Well, that came out of him, but he had bad knees. I didn't know anything about it until the next night because Pastor Cody, Dr. Cody, dismissed me to go on back to the room where we're going to have a sandwich. And I wasn't trying to get away from people, but he said, you could leave Dr. Jacobs and we'll meet you in a minute. So I left. And this guy came up to Dr. Cody and he started doing this. I can do this. And he goes, what does that mean? I couldn't do this before Dr. Jacobs just prayed for me a few minutes ago. And then he came to me the next night and said, I went home and went up some steps. I couldn't do that for several years. And my knees would crinkle and crack and make all kinds of weird noises. And he did this for me. And I said, did I pray for you about your knees? No, that's the amazing thing. You just prayed for me about alcoholism. Then I got a lady in their church I call Sister Blacktop. She always wears blacks, blouses, or sweaters. And sometimes I call people different things, you know. <laughs> you know, Sister whatever, flower dress, or Sister Blacktop right here. <laughs> she got in my meeting. She had migraine headaches. I had a word of knowledge. And she, she wrote me a, a report and said, I, was, I got healed of migraines when you pray for me, but I was at a struggle with motion sickness. I'd get in the car with my kids and I couldn't drive too far. I'd have to almost throw up. I was just so sick from motion, but all that left me when I got prayed for, for the migraines. So I'm trying to get to a point. So I said, Lord, Lord, what would you help me know what's going on? He said, yeah, that anointing in your life, it's not just like a gift of healing. I do have some of those in my mantle for bones, hearts, sometimes uh, (laughs) pancreases. God gives people new current pancreases or restores the one they have. But this is, a, this is a different operation. And so Jesus was talking to me about it. And I said, well, Lord, talk to me more. And he said, that healing anointing in your life that Dr. Dufresne prophesied to you about in 2004, it's starting to work. And what that does, it's a broader effect on people's bodies than what used to be in just a gift of healing. Now, I'm not minimizing the gifts. You know, people have a gift to minister to people who are sure, sure, like for legs or knees or feet or, you know, but, but this and only I'm talking about might cover all that and some other things I'm not saying. Yeah. Yeah. So the Lord's telling me this and I said, Lord, I know that you're talking, but I am not going to say that publicly until I can find somebody else to validate you. Because you're the one that told Paul wrote the New Testament, right? Yes, sir. I said, well, you said in the mouth of two or more witnesses. So I said, I'm go- this is what I said to myself. Gee, now you, you might think that's funny. I don't know what you're thinking. But I believe we ought to try things out. If we're talking, we feel like we're hearing from God. Yes, <laughs> I said, I'm going to go back through Brother Hagin's material and Dr. Dufresne's material. And I'm going to see if they thought that way. Because that's my spiritual father and grandfather. Yes, then I got Smith Wigglesworth, Lester Summerall back in there too. Hallelujah. Not because I'm important, because I hooked up with Dr. Dufresne that got his impartations from those men, Kenneth Hagin, Lester Summerall, Smith Wigglesworth ministered to Dr. Summerall, and right on down the line. This is why we need impartations. 
This is why we need people like me that are talking to you about these types of things. Are we just going to have church the rest of our life? Just have a church meeting and go home and kiss your wife and play with your kids. You know, there's nothing wrong with kissing your wife and playing with your kids, but life should be more broader than that. So I went back and read Brother Hagin. A healing ministry goes along with the prophet's office. Then he said this, a particular gift of healing, like I just talked to you about, you have a gift for feet or hearts or whatever that someone may have like ministering healing for eyes or ears or tumors will work in that area. But the anointing will work for everyone. We'll get them all, all different physical conditions that way. Now I'm not a hundred percent on that. Neither was Jesus. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But see, I found out there was something happening to me. Instead of just ignorantly going on and not paying attention, I went to Jesus because he's the head of the church. If anybody ought to know about it, he'd know. And he was gracious to talk to me about it. Then I read this from Dr. Dufresne. An endowment. I have a healing endowment. He called it in the prophecy to a healing anointing. It's a healing endowment. (laughs) You know, if if a university gets an endowment... They could do things with that endowment. I think down in Nashville, these folks come from Nashville. A lady, her husband was elderly. He passed, he went ahead and passed on. Then she died and she left like $360 million to Vanderbilt University. I've been, I've been down there and stayed at Lowe's Vanderbilt Hotel across the street. That Vanderbilt University is a couple blocks long. And they look like they got some money already. But she endowed that university with $370 or $60 million. You know, you could do something with that. It didn't like she gave him $5,000 or even 50, 270 million. And just like that is in the natural, it's in the way in the spirit. God gives you an endowment. You can do things then that you couldn't do without that endowment. I'm not trying to hype me. I mean, it's up to you if you want to receive. I'm just talking to you about something I'm trying to teach you about tonight and trying to be a little more in depth with it so you can yeah. clearly understand what I'm saying. Yeah. It's never about me. Yeah. Because I couldn't do anything without him. That's right. Amen. But on the other side of that, I'm not without him. That's right. That's right. You need to realize that in your life. You're not without him either. That's right. Now, if I didn't have these gifts and I didn't have these endowments, I would teach something else. But I just talking about how I learned these things. It came over a lot of period of time. My God, I was a drug addict and went to a, uh, to a Baptist church. Hallelujah. Here's what Dr. Dufresne said. An endowment works towards a specific need, but a tangible anointing will work for every need as the one in need releases their faith. I've proven this out. Yeah, and I just told you of a couple examples, just two. I could have told you about more. So when we read about Jeremiah, about the ministry of the prophet, he does all these things to restore people and to heal people and to get them delivered. How about building you up in health? How about getting you planted in the healing power of God? See, that's part of my mantle too. So let's go back here. We read the prophecy. Go back to 2 Kings 5. I was reading this a few years ago. And it began to really affect me. It was about Naaman. He was a general in the Assyrian army, I believe it was, in chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me just read it to you. Now, Naaman, verse, verse 1, 2 Kings 5, 1. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. 
and honorable man, because by him the Lord had given deliverance or victory unto Syria through this man named Naaman, who was a general. And, but he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She was an assistant, a helper in their home, but she was an Israeli. And she said unto her mistress, the lady she worked for, verse 3, Would God my Lord, that's talking about Naaman, were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now why would she say something like that? Unless the prophet had a healing ministry. And she said, if you could get him over there to him, I'm sure God could recover him of this ailment. So again, this is a prophet with a healing anointing in his life, a healing mantle. Now he didn't touch him. We know that as we read the rest of his story, he didn't touch him. He just sent his minister down and said, uh, tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And this, you know, kind of a general is not a low guy. He's not a sergeant or a private. He's a general and he's used to being treated with some level of respect because of his, his facility and his level of whatever. And he got mad about it. He said, well, why would I go get in the dirty Jordan? I go to my own rivers in my own country. And his lieutenant said, well, listen, boss, why would you be disturbed about that? And the prophet said, just go do it. Why, why would you do that? Why don't you just go do what he said? Here's another thing about prophets. Sometimes they'll tell you to do things. You know, and if you don't do it, you won't get it. I was in Guadalajara another time. Had a great meeting. There's a young lady came up to me, kind of irritated about me. That's not uncommon. (laughs) But she was telling me, got in the prayer line, she stood before me, said, I'm not getting nothing out of you. Said, you know, I, I said, yeah, I noticed you standing there like a telephone pole. Hello. When we're yeah. praising God, you're not doing yeah. that. You're standing there like this. Yeah. If we're running, you're sitting. Yeah. You don't respond to anything I appreciate. It's amazing you even got to the meeting. Yeah. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, girl. I grabbed her around the way. She's taller than me, real thin girl. She's about 25 years old. I was probably 50. I said, I'm going to throw you. <laughs> and she looked at me like, going to throw me? Yeah, I'm going to throw you that way. When your feet hit the ground, I want you to take a lap. I went, one. I didn't even get to three. I just counted one and threw her. (laughs) Tricked her. And she took off running, came back around, came right up to me and fell out. One of the oddest things ever happened. Then she came up to me after me and said, I got delivered and I got healed. I said, see, all you had to do was listen. You needed to respond to something. You know, sometimes people want it, but they want it on their own way. I was out at the Navajo Reservation ministering. I've been out there three times. And the biggest meeting I had was with a gentleman that invited me. He he was something else. He he came in. He looked like an Indian. He was an Indian. He wore sunglasses, arms like this. I can tell when white men lie. That's the first thing he said to me. didn't affect me a bit. I said, good, we're not having any problems. So he said, I want you to come. After I talked to him a little bit, he asked me, he said, wait, I want you to come do our camp meeting. It was 300 people in a tent one night. And, and he was interpreting that one night. His name was uh, uh, Eugene Bennett. 
he's a famous evangelist out there. He's probably in heaven by now. This is a long time ago, 1990. And I said, what did you tell the people to do? They all got up and started lining around the walls of that tent. I said, what did you tell them to do? Said, I told them you're going to lay hands on all of them. You what? <laughs> I said, okay. So I started over here. They were lined up down this wall and around the back. And I said, you're going to have to come respond to me. When I motion, you come. I'm going to tap you on the head. And they kept coming. They kept coming. I got to this one girl. She was probably 18 or 20. All the young people out there speak good English. I said, the Lord told me not to lay my hand on you. He told me to tell you, run across the front of this auditorium on the, in the sand and you'll get delivered. She looked at me like, you got to be kidding me. That was her, her, her facial expression. I said, listen, get out of my way or go sit down, but I'm not going to touch you. Get moving. And, she, and, I, and I went to the next two or three people and all of a sudden the whole place came erupted with praise and worship. And she was taking a lap. She got delivered just like I told her she'd get. Because she ran when I said, you got to run down the front. And she ran around, picked up three or four other girls. They got on the platform. These are young Indian girls, probably 15 to 20. And they started singing in English. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. It was wonderful. But you know, if she didn't do that, she wouldn't have got what she could have got. I'm not trying to make it complicated on anybody. I'm trying to help everybody. So anyway, he dipped in the river seven times in verse 14. Then when he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, who was a prophet, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Boy, he got a miracle. Yeah. The story is told of John, uh, John Alexander Dowie in Chicago. He went in the hospital and there was five medical doctors there. A lady had a tumor that had grown out of her mouth and attached itself to the side of her head, and it was almost as big as her head. They wouldn't do surgery because they felt if they cut into it, they're going to spread that cancer through her whole system. She wouldn't last a few days. He just grabbed the side of that thing, said, Jesus' name come off, and threw it in the floor in front of five medical doctors. And they came over and examined her, and they said, well, her skin's like a baby's skin. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make your day, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the Zeus Street Revival, they had all kinds of things like that happen. They were meeting in a barn on a flat piece of wood like a two by 12, on, sitting on crates. And the kids, I've been reading that recently, the, the, the people that were kids during that meeting, they're all in heaven now. They told about some of the most supernatural, miraculous things I'd ever read yeah. that happened because the glory of God was in that little Azusa barn. Yeah. People got filled with the Holy Ghost from all over the world. And preach the same gospel we're preaching today. Yep. So we're talking here about the prophet having a healing ministry. Now let's go up to the New Testament to Jesus a minute. And let's go to Acts 10, first of all. You learned anything? Yes. I don't mean to go this long. I'm trying to condense it, but I'm just on one avenue today about the healing anointing that's in my ministry or in my mantle as a prophet. I didn't ask, listen to me. I've never asked God for any of this. And say, Lord, if you just do this for me, I'm just living for him. And I think if you're paying attention to me, I tell you some of my hiccups in that too. Like, Lord, I don't want to have to do that. Well, it's either that or else, Michael. You want to make it harder on yourself, go ahead. But I want you to start talking more about some of the things you've seen. Do you understand me? Now I see looking back on it, he was wanting me to share some of these things because not everybody's going to have visions. 
and not to edify me, but to show you there's another world that exists right alongside this world we're in here. It's natural. There's spirits here tonight. Angels are here tonight. They always are here with me. The ones that are assigned to me. Hallelujah. Not bragging. I'm just trying to talk about it. And I, Jesus said, you either do that or else. I said, okay, I'd love to do it. Help me, Jesus. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Did I give you the reference? Yeah, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. This is one of the most key verses in the whole Bible that shows you God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are all ganged up on the devil. And everybody that Jesus healed, don't, be, don't let this scripture throw you for a loop. Not everybody that Jesus prayed for, God healed. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But all that he prayed for, they were oppressed by the devil. Yeah. That word oppressed means to be weighed down in your body or your mind. Some people are just mental people and they got issues in their head and they need to get delivered if that's the yeah. case. Other people have issues with their bodies and some have both. Or people have issues with their emotions. Listen, do not let your emotions, don't let your emotions be God to you. You're looking at a guy that was pretty uh, skilled in that was a teenager. I let my emotions use me and it just about destroyed my life. Are you listening to me? Really listening? Learn to be a solid person, a stable person. And all that comes through God and his power and knowing the Bible and coming to church regularly and taking, getting ministry or receive ministry from those like myself or Dr. Hattaball and others that he has in. Pastor Nancy comes here. Richard Roberts comes here. You know what I'm saying. And we're all different. I'm not trying to be Richard. I'm not trying to be Dr. Dufresne. A lot of times people say in the back room, man, you remind us of Dr. Dufresne. I said, well, thank you. I take it as a compliment. I'm not trying to imitate him, but I got so many impartations in 20 years. Certain things when I'm in the spirit, I behave or act like him, but I'm not trying to do that on purpose. That would be demonic. No, my name is Michael, not Dr. Dufresne. I'm just trying to help you clarify something. So there was an anointing on Jesus that he could do good with. And what was the good he did? He got him healed. Doing good and healing. That ought to settle it forever that healing is good. Sickness is bad. (laughs) I didn't say the people who are sick are bad, but the evil one is the one that brought it. Or one of his cohorts, one of the demonic spirits that work for him. They're all different classes of demons, just like there's different classes of angels. But you can deal with all of them. You have authority over them all. All right, so let's, we're talking about Jesus. Let's go back here to John 3. I'm getting down into what I really want to talk to you about a little bit. And because we're looking at Jesus as a prophet, I mean, no, he was a prophet. He was all fivefold ministry gifts. (laughs) <laughs> the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But I want to show you something here about his mantle. In uh, John, let me find it, John 3 and verse 34. Look at this with me. For he whom, John 3, the gospel, John three thirty-four. For he whom God has sent, that was Jesus, speaketh the words of God, like we were teaching this morning. 
For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him, unto Jesus. Jesus, I have a measure. I don't have all the measures. I just have my measure. Pastor Debbie has her measure. Regina, Rochelle, Cassie, Sonny, all of them have their measures. All of you have a measure. Maybe you're not fivefold, but you still have a measure that God wants you to use for his glory in the earth. But we're looking at Jesus. He had a spirit without measure. There was no limitation on him. And yet he couldn't get it done in some places. I'm going to show you that. Let's look at John 4 verse 10. Because I'm confirming that Jesus was a prophet. The woman saith unto him, you know, he said, lady, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now or shacking up with is not your husband. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Remember the lady I told you about her that had an abortion? How did I know that? I didn't know that except by the Holy Ghost. I would have never dreamed that was connected to her weird behavior on Sunday morning. She didn't fulfill it, but she said, I want to stand up and cuss you out. Telling her pastor that. I said, well, you certainly got a problem. Now, I don't know everything about her life. I don't know if that, I don't know who she was with to have that child. I don't know everything about how many people she had been with in her life. You know, I didn't know she'd been married and divorced and now remarried. I didn't know all that. I don't know what kind of car she drives. I just know she's an adult lady with a husband and three children at that point in her life. And God just told me one little thing to help her. See, even prophets, there's another thing. Prophets do not know everything about everything. That's That's crazy. Paul said, I know in part. I know what? That means I only know what God reveals to me. There's a verse back in 2 Kings, I think it's 4 or something. And the prophet, the lady, you know, she wrote all, told the guy to get her to the prophet because her son had died. And he said, something's the matter with her. And he said, the Lord's hid it from me. The prophet said, the Lord's hid that from me. I don't, so he didn't know that. He figured it out eventually and he went and raised the boy from the dead. He sent his minister to go do it. He sent his staff to go do it. Not his staff that did secretarial work, the staff that he had, that it was anointed. And then he personally went in and lay on the child. How many remember this story? See, prophets only know the part that he shows you. This guy coming down the aisle, he hadn't started barking yet, but when I knew something was wrong with him instantly when I had laid eyes on him. Then he just demonstrated that weirdness and I wasn't going to let him take that service over. That's why I screamed, shut up and come out of him with some authority. And I mean, my God, he took one more step and froze. He wasn't going to hurt anybody, especially me. Anyway, we're just talking here about the ministry of the prophet talking to you about Jesus. So let's understand. Let's go back over here to Mark chapter six. Are you still here? Yeah. And I know I'm, how did I get going this long? I don't know. You guys are pulling it out of me. I'm going to blame you tonight. How about that? So I don't want to have to tell my wife I preach so long. Okay. You act like you enjoy it and I'll quit sooner. Some of you are going, oh my God, there's another scripture. Gloria Copeland tells this in her meetings, you know, I've been to some of her healing schools one time. She preached for three and a half hours without taking a breath. And some lady sitting out there said, shut her up. And she didn't say it out loud. She said, I don't want another scripture to come out of her mouth. I've been sitting here for three and a half hours or four hours in that healing school. 
Glory Copeland. She's a sweetie pie. I mean, why would somebody be like that? Just being ugly because they're tired and they got to go have lunch or something. <laughs> but she's in there because she's sick. And said, Glory didn't pay a bit of attention to me. She, she didn't scream it out. She just said in her own heart, shut this lady up. I don't want her to read another scripture. She read the next scripture and the lady got healed. <laughs> I'm doing that to encourage you a little bit with <laughs> Mark 6, let's, let's read it, verses 1 through 6. And when he went from thence, Jesus came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, or we would say a church. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, and Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. That's the first problem. They were offended at what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus said to them, a prophet, this is an interesting comment, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And this is the thing that Jesus said. When people get familiar with you, even as a prophet, they lose out on whatever you could have done. And you get that way with your pastors. You've got, to be, you've got to guard yourself against getting familiar. I was with Dad Dufresne for 20 years. I never high-fived him ever, ever. I always called him doctor. I took my place and I stayed in my place. I didn't try to, I didn't get, I didn't hook up with him to get promoted. I didn't get, up, get hooked up so he could get me up to preach so I got a place to preach. I was already preaching. I went with him because God put me with him and I loved him and I was the student. He was the master. If I, you see what I, yeah. I was just going to hold his coat and pray for him. Man. Yeah. And it was 10 years before he ever got me up to take an offering. And I didn't ask to do that and didn't feel good about it when I got up because I thought, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. to get up in front of your spiritual father and do something like that. Yeah. I'm just talking to see, I kept a right attitude. Yeah. And by the end, right before he went home, two months before he went home, I was in Clarksville, Tennessee. He said, Michael, come up here. You're missing one thing. I have it in my prophecies. He hit me in the head and said, now you're not missing anything. Now that didn't mean I didn't miss anything that I might need for the future, but I got all that I needed from him. What if I decided that's too far to drive? I don't want to drive four hours to go there. I'm tired of doing this. And then he went home and two months later and I didn't know that was coming. And I was just so, of course, initially I was disturbed about it that he left, but as I began to regain my whatever, Jesus came to me and visited me about it. And he said, you're going to be all right. Don't be concerned. You're going to cry some when you talk about him, maybe the rest of your life, but don't let that bug you. I know you loved him. You're going to be okay is what he told me. But then I realized, my wife said that, you know, isn't that something? We went to that meeting and he touched you for the last time. See, that really bothered me because I thought those hands are never going to be on me again. 20 years. And I got all kinds of, impart- I got impartations sitting and listening to him preach. Yes. He didn't have to call me up front every time and say something to me. That's not it. I was a good receiver and I always kept him in an attitude of respect, not unapproachable, not in worship, but just realizing that God had entrusted me to be around one of the most powerful men of God that I've ever known and let me be a son to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And I'm, I'm all messed up here. Hang on a minute. <laughs> and a prophet was out on her. So I'm saying that to keep your, you know, just don't become too flippant with those that you respect. Pray for them, love them, esteem them, put a value on them. Yeah, put a value on the people that feed you. Your pastors are the main ones that feed you day in and day out, week in and week out, and love you and help you with your marriage, help you with your children, help you to have good families, help you to grow financially, help just everything. Man and woman like this. You got a bird's nest on the ground. It's talking to you here. And there's a lot of churches don't teach anything we teach. I'm not sure what they're teaching, but they're not teaching what we teach. And we're not like the deal, but I'm saying we do know something about God. Yes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> okay. Hallelujah. So anyway, he's telling them they didn't, they dishonored him and they were offended at him. And verse five says, and he could there in that environment do no mighty works except he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. They believed something, but they didn't believe the Bible. Unbelief is what you believe apart from the Bible. There's no such thing as no belief system. Every human being has a belief system. It may be in their own intelligence. It may be in their own body. You know, people are into working out and looking buff and all that. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't worship that. Or your education or your money or your social status. Or you're smarter than other people. We know there's some people smarter than us. I do. But I'm not out to just be smart. I want to be spiritual. That's a whole nother animal. Any of you listening to me? Okay. (laughs) I'm going to have to stop. But I hope you got something. You know, we're talking about healing tonight. And I'm just going to minister a couple things that God put in my heart. One of the areas that I have a lot of success in is the area of bones. I just got a card or a letter or what do you call that? A report testimony from a girl that had been going to a chiropractor for uh, scoliosis, curvature of the spine. I'm not sure how old she was. I think her mother wrote it about her to me and I ministered to her in some church. It could have been down at Pastor Randy's. I'm not sure what church it was, but she went back to the chiropractor and he said, told that girl, said, your spine is straightening out. I was going to do something more elaborate with you, but just give us six months, come back and let me check you again. So God is moving her spine to straighten up. (laughs) Yeah. Hallelujah. We've had a lot of people heal of scoliosis and other, other type of bone stuff. I had a guy fall off a big tractor trailer truck. He was taking a cars down the highway and he stopped to take them off his vehicle. There was 18 wheelers and there's a car that sits right over the cab. And he stepped back to open the door in the car, but he missed the rail and sent straight down in a parking lot on asphalt, broke every bone in both feet, broke both ankles, had 12 surgeries, had pins and screws, had to wear a card at the airport or the school. I'm going to set your buzzer off because I got so much metal in my feet, kind of like Sonny. It's got some metal in him. And he was crippled before that because of that. He, he walked like this. And he's a really strapping guy. He's an ex-bodybuilder, ex-drug addict, like me, ex-bodybuilder. <laughs> I said that one time. My wife says, now, come on, Michael. <laughs> but he's a big guy. His arms are as big as my thighs and about that taunt. He's just, he was a massive, about 6'1". Well, you know him. You know him. You know him. You know him. You don't know him. You know him. Well, maybe you know him, too. <laughs> 
Anyway, you know, my wife, he came over to my wife. I was in a foreign country and said, and he walked over to the table like that. And he told her that story. And she said, well, Larry, come back. We love you. We hadn't seen you in two years. Remember, Michael has an anointing for bones. Maybe God would heal you. He came back, been back about six or eight weeks. I got up one Sunday to preach. said, Larry, come on up. God's going to take care of that today. And he came over here and he's standing. I laid hands on him. He fell out. Everybody that was seated at the time. I had him sit down and I said, well, what do we do now? And the Lord said, tell him one of the angels working with you is going to work on him. He'll be okay. So I said, well, let's just wait. The Lord said, one of the angels working with me and healing is going to take care of this. And I just stood there and watched and they, they could see too, those up close. One of those legs came up, he twisted his ankle. You could see the ankle move. Like if you're in rehab, laid that leg down, picked up that other one, twisted his ankle, pulled it like that, laid it down. He laid there about 30 more seconds and got up and walked like this. Back to his seat. Woo, that'll straighten your hair up. Wow. And God totally healed that man. Yeah, he went back to the lawyer said, I'm healed. They said, stop it. We've already filed for, you know, whatever. Yeah, he got a lot of money for it. He tried to tell them that he wasn't hurting anymore, but they said, no, we filed for it. You're going to get your big fat check. I'm just talking to you here. Let's stand up together for a minute.